And if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, and if not, there's one in front of you uh, that we'd love for you to be able to have a copy of God's Word that could be yours. And so as you turn there, as Pastor Mike said earlier, uh, today is a little bit bittersweet because it's our last Sunday in the book of Hebrews. We started in January at the very beginning of the year and have walked all the way through this point. Uh, to this point of wrapping up the book of Hebrews together. And so I said this last week, but I just want to encourage you, if, if you've been on this journey with us, and most of you have, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to take time uh, before the Lord this week to kind of go back and look at what has God taught you through His Word? How has He changed you through His Word? How has He led you to repentance and, and pursuit of Him through his word. And just you know, to write that down, to take note of that, to, to think about it, as the author of Hebrews says multiple times, to consider. Uh, but then don't just leave that to yourself. Share that with someone else. With, with your spouse, with your fellowship group, with, with your go group, whatever that might be. Share what God has been doing in your life as a means of glorifying him, as a means of encouraging, challenging one another. Uh, even on Friday night, I was here for an event for my kids and was talking to a couple of their group leaders and they just began sharing just how much this letter to Hebrews has been impactful for them and not necessarily like preaching or preacher, but just God's word and how it has been changing them. So I just want to encourage you as a way to honor the Lord, as a way to, to see how God is at work in your life, to see, to share with others. And so this morning, let's finish this together. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, sisters, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. We can kind of pause there for a second, just chuckle for a little bit. You know, so we've been in the book of Hebrews for almost a year now. May not feel brief to us, but to the author, this feels really brief. He's got a lot more in the tank. This is the, the kind of the summary version that he could give. Uh, and so he's letting them know that there's more. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see, see you if he comes soon. We would assume this is the same Timothy that we have first and second Timothy written to, one of Paul's companions and uh, pastor at the church of Ephesus. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings, which means that this, this gospel message that was first preached in Jerusalem has spread to Samaria, has spread to Rome, and is spreading out. The gospel is going out. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. You know, last words are important words. I can remember uh, almost like it was yesterday graduating from seminary and after kind of four years of toil and working hard toward this degree and all the study and all the papers and all the late night cramming and all the conversations and discussion boards, all those kind of things. There's a lot of that I don't remember. But what I do remember is uh, the day before graduation, uh, the president, Dr. Aiken, who's been here several times, speaking to the graduates. 
and challenging us to remain faithful, challenging us to run the race well, challenging us to look to Jesus as our hope, as our joy, as our king. And I don't know that he said something that day that I'd never heard before. I'm sure I have. I mean, there's things we've talked about as we've gone through this letter, this book of Hebrews. But what made it significant was the moment. What made it significant was the context. This was a, an ending point. These were last words, final words, a final charge given to me and to the others who were being sent out to whatever God would have for us next. And again, those words continue to ring in my heart and my mind. And when we come to the book of Hebrews, when we come into these last five verses, these final words are significant. I mean, all of the letter of Hebrews is significant because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So there's nothing wasted in it. There's nothing more significant or less significant. It is all from God to his people, to his church. It's significant for us. But what we do see here in this passage is this prayer or benediction that the author of Hebrews, he's taken all of these glorious realities about who Jesus is, that he is the true and better, what we just sang about a few minutes ago, these warnings that he's given to the church, these admonitions, these calls to live a life of faithfulness, to live a life of endurance, to live a life of worship. And he takes all of that and kind of sums it up in this prayer for the church, for these people that it's very obvious he knows them personally. He loves and cares about them deeply. And he wants to see them bring honor and glory to Jesus with their lives. And so if you kind of pull all that together, he, he gives them one last statement of purpose and one last statement of means that's not just for them, but it is for us this morning, which kind of leads to our big truth together. last big truth in Hebrews is this. God equips his church to do his will. God equips his church to do his will. Verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Why? That you may do his will. So that's the purpose. That's what the church is called to do. That's what Jesus followers are called to do. We are called to walk in the will of God to do God's will, to align our lives with God's purposes for you and for me and for this church. That is the end. That is the goal. But then he also gives the means. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The church has been called by God to do his will. But not just called by God, that's the good news this morning that we'll unpack together, that God equips his church to do his will. That the things that God has called you to and called me to individually and collectively, God doesn't just send you out and say, good luck. But no, he gives the people of God, his people, what they need to accomplish the purpose which he has called them to. So I think that raises two really important questions as we kind of get into this text, this, these closing words from the author of Hebrews to these people and to us. One is, how do we know God's will? So we're, we're called to walk in God's will. We are equipped to do God's will. 
how do we know what God's will is? How do you know that? How do I know that? If we're going to walk in it, we have to know what it is. So how do we know God's will? And I think a second question is, well, how do we walk in it? If we, if we know what God's will is for your life, for my life, for this church, how do we live that out? How do we pursue that to the fullest end that God would call us to? And that this individual prays for the church in faith that God would do these things. And so that's kind of the aim over our next few minutes together. And as we walk this, my, my prayer has been not just to to talk about God's will and how do we know it. Like We'll talk about that a little bit, but my hope is that your love for Jesus grows as you see what God has called you to and what he has equipped you and I for. So how do we know God's will? First big idea is this. God's will is not a guessing game or a mystical feeling, but instead his purposes and commands revealed in Scripture. Let me just say that again. God's will, it's not a guessing game. It's not, you know, like if you're with your kids, like trying to play guess who at home and, you know, is this your will? Is this your will? Is this your will? It's not a guessing game. It's not a mystical feeling. So feeling led, feeling at peace, those are words that are often kind of common in Christian context. It's not that. What is it? It's instead his purposes his commands that are clearly revealed in his word. Let me say another way. God's will is revealed through God's word. God's will is revealed through God's word. The way that you and I know what God's will is, is by opening up his word. And sometimes people say, well, doesn't, take out that, doesn't that take out the leading of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. Who inspired all of these words? It's the Holy Spirit. That the author of Hebrews has already told us that these prophets and these, these men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, given the words to communicate to us, God is never going to call you to do something that is not in line with his word. God's Holy Spirit's never going to lead you outside of his word because the Holy Spirit speaks through God's word. The Holy Spirit calls us to exalt Jesus Christ and does that through his revealed word to us. And we see that in these verses. In verse 21 it says, that you may do his will. The assumption of the author to the audience and to us is that we would know his will. This is not a guessing game that we would know what it is because we're called to do it. And then he even gives a more clear picture of what that will is in verse 22. He says, bear with my word of exhortation. What is his word of exhortation? The letter to the Hebrews that we have as scripture. These things he's writing to them, whether or not he knows their scripture, he may not, but he is writing them based on the Old Testament, based on the revelation of Jesus Christ, which have become a part of scripture, God speaking to us through his word. God's will is revealed in his word. We walk in God's will led by the Holy Spirit as we align our lives to God's word. And so if you're wrestling this morning, wondering or praying, God, what's your will for my life? I would just encourage you, open up the Bible. You know, sometimes God's will, I think we kind of get in our mind that it's almost this picture of like three or four doors. 
and you're trying to wrestle through, do I walk through door number one or do I take door number two and I'm going to open that door, what's behind that door, I hope I chose the right door. But the way that scripture paints God's wills, it's not like you get it or you miss it, it's more like being in the middle of a river. And as you follow God's word, you're being led down that river, you're being carried by the current and there's movement in that but it is leading us the direction that we are called to go. And that's what happens when we follow God's word. We can trust God's spirit to reveal to us what is right and good and next. And a lot of times we overcomplicate it. Like the things that we've read in the book of Hebrews are God's will for your life and for my life. That you would be generous. That you would practice hospitality. That you would honor marriage. That you would not be led astray by lies, that you would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that you would not grow sluggish in your faith, but go on to maturity, that you would live a life of praise, fruit of praise of lips, that you would remember your leaders, that you remember those who are suffering in prison, that you would show brotherly love and affection within God's people his wills revealed to us through his word. So let me just give you a few truths about God's will that we, that we see in scripture just very quickly. And, and today there's going to be a lot of notes. And so if you're like the avid note taker and we're going to move through things quickly, I might make you a little frustrated today. I'm sorry, I apologize now. You can go online and pull all of those. If you're the person who's like, I don't really take a lot of notes, then this will be great for you. You can just kind of sit back and take it all in. So little kind of precursor and we're going to dive right in. So three truths about God's will very quickly. First, God's will is accessible and clear. It's accessible and clear because it is given to us through his word. We can find it. We can know it. It is clear to us. Let me give you a few passages of scripture that kind of reveal this to us. Ephesians chapter 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, this is important, do not be foolish that there's a way for you and I to live that is foolish. What is that? Is living in a way that ignores God's word. He goes on to say, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not hidden, it is known, it is given to us through his word. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. So don't let your thinking be shaped by the culture around you by what Netflix says or what social media says, CNN or Fox News says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What are we putting to the test? We're putting our decisions, our feelings, those next steps in line with God's word. Does it line up? Does it match? Does it not? That we may know what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse Peter 4, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Not meaning you live a sinless life, but you don't live for sin anymore. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. So this means we don't follow what feels good to us. We don't follow what feels at peace to us. No, what do we do? We follow the will of God. Well, how do we know the will of God? God's word. God's people in community. 
is how we know. God's will is accessible and clear. Secondly, God's will is above and beyond us. There's tension here. So it's accessible, it's clear, it's given to us in God's word, but at the same time we recognize that his will is above us. It's beyond us. Has there ever been a time in your life where something happened to you that didn't make any sense at all? Where it just feels like, Lord, I have no idea why you would allow this to happen. Anybody? I have. Many times. God, I don't see how any good comes from this. His will is bigger than us. It's beyond us. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. That what God is doing and what God knows, it's above us, it's beyond us. That's why faith is involved in this. And just as an aside for a minute, it's a good thing that God's thoughts are higher than your and my thoughts. And his ways are higher than our ways, right? Right? Like a God who has the same thoughts as us and thinks and feels the same way, that's not a God we want to worship. We want to worship a God who is above us, beyond us. That's good news. And so Jesus, speaking to the disciples, knowing that God's will is above and beyond our understanding, says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when God's will is above us and beyond us, and there are things we don't understand that are happening in our life, what do we do? We pray that his kingdom would come through these circumstances. We pray that his will would be done in and through us in these circumstances that we may not fully understand. So just a couple points of application really quickly. One would be love God's word. Study God's word. Know God's word. Let it transform you. Let it change you. One of the amazing realities about scripture is that it, when you give time to God's word, it doesn't take from you. It gives to you. J.I. Packer, who's a pastor, a theologian, who's gone on to be with the Lord, he talked about how the study of the word does not distract your mind, it expands it. It gives you greater capacity to understand the world around you and a greater hunger to know and follow God. So love God's word. Second, obey God's word. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Walk in the word. That's the way we live out God's will is by obeying the word of God. But then third, and this is what I just want to challenge us with this morning because I think this has been something that that hurts the church it has for decades and continues to hurt the church third application avoid mystical language related to god's will i feel led i feel a peace i sense like this is the right thing to do and here's why because often when we use that language we don't use it in line with god's word Have you taken time to pray, to fast, to go before the word, to come to godly advisors who will tell you the truth, not just what you want to hear? Are you laying down your wants and your desires for God's glory and God's kingdom? 
And my fear is for many of us that we've used words like, I feel at peace or I feel led to just justify the thing we want to do because it sounds spiritual. And I think it's time for us as a people to mature past that. It's based on God's word, based on my circumstances, based on the counsel, based on prayer. This is what I believe the right next step is. But let's not put God's name on it unless it is clearly from the Lord. Let's not use God to justify our decisions and our actions. That brings dishonor to his name, not glory. May we be a people who fear and walk in honor to what God calls us to. And this is true as we walk according to God's will. A great example of this that you can lean into, this is just really, really practical. Next week we have study groups that are starting back. There's two primary ones, one at 9.30, one at 11. At 9.30, Pastor Wes is going uh, six weeks looking at Judges and Ruth. Judges is a great picture of what it looks like to walk according to your will. Ruth is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to walk according to God's will. How do we apply those things to our lives? We're at 11 o'clock, dive in with David Brewers. He's going to be walking through the attributes, the character of God for six weeks. One of the ways we know God's will is by knowing God. What is he like? How is he at work? What is he doing? For some of you, there would be nothing better that you could give the next six Sundays to going into the holidays than to not just being a part of the gathering, but studying God's word alongside of God's people. I would challenge you to do that this week, just super practical. So if we know what God's will is through his word, that leads to a second question this morning. How do we walk in God's will? If we are called to do God's will, how do we do God's will? What does that look like practically? And I think the author of Hebrews gives us several things that are so important to see. So before I dive in these last few big ideas, can I just give a spoiler alert? You can't walk in God's will on your own. I can't do it. None of us are good enough. None of us are wise enough. None of us can do that on our own. And this is what the author of Hebrews is praying for these people he's writing to and praying for us, is that we would stop trying to do this in our own strength, but that we would lean into God's work in and through us. So how do we walk in God's will few big ideas. We'll move through these pretty quick. First one is this. God's church can do his will because of who he is. Amen? God's church can do his will because of who he is, not who we are. Because of who he is, his character. Look at verse 20 that we just read a few minutes ago. Now may the God of peace, the emphasis is on him. The prayer is to him on behalf of the church. God is what's central in this message from the author of Hebrews to the people. May the God of peace equip you that you may do his will. The author of Hebrews does not start with the audience. He starts with the author, God. It is because of who he is, his character, that we can do his will. And he tells us several things about God's character that are just an encouragement to our soul. I'll just walk through these really quickly. Again, they're in their notes. First, he says he is the God of peace. The God of peace. What does that mean? God is peace and God who gives peace. 
That's good news for you and for me. The context of this letter is distress. There's persecution. There's difficulty. There's false teaching. And so at the end of this letter, the author of Hebrews is saying, may the God of peace, brothers, sisters, we need peace. He is the God of peace. He is the God who gives peace. But he's not just the God of peace. Second, he's the resurrected king. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He's not just the God of peace, he is the resurrected king, he's the one who brought Jesus back from the dead. We see the power of the resurrection, which is good news for us, but also we see the perfection that Jesus paid the price. He died according to the law. We've walked through that in the book of Hebrews all throughout, all these Old Testament regulations. He did all those things perfectly, but now he is alive again. But not only is he the God of peace, the resurrected king, he is third, the great shepherd of the sheep, which speaks to his care, his comfort, his love for you, for me. And he's not just a shepherd, he is the great shepherd. He is the shepherd above all shepherds, above all leaders. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. It speaks about God's care and his love for his people. But not only is he the great shepherd of the sheep, he is the substitute for sin. He's made peace, how? By his blood, verse 20. By the blood of the eternal covenant. That the way in which he brings us into right relationship with God so that we can do his will is through his sacrificial death in our place. And then fifth, he is the better covenant. And we've spent a lot of time talking about this, so you can go back. But I would encourage you, just in your own time, go back to Hebrews chapter 8. Because of this new covenant, the old covenant of Sinai brought death, but this new covenant means that God's spirit is now within his people. His law is written within their hearts. So how can we do God's will? Because he makes us new. That's good news this morning. So God's church can do his will, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. We always want to start with who God is. I was talking to uh, my son Jack not too long ago, and he's wrestling through He's placed, made a profession of faith. He's been baptized, trusts Jesus as Savior, but some days he doesn't feel like a Christian. Anybody else ever feel that way? He has that question, Dad, how do I know? Do you think I am? And as a loving father, what do I say back? I don't know. But here's what I do know. Who are you trusting in? I can't save you. I can't assure you but the one who can is the one who you want to put your hope on. It's not because of what you did. It's not because of the decision. It's not because of a baptism. It's because of who God is. And so the author of Hebrews is reminding the church that their hope and their calling to do God's will is anchored in who he is. Which leads to the next big idea, which is this. In Jesus, we are being equipped to do God's will. So how can we do God's will? It's because of who he is, but it gets better. It's not just who he is, it's about what he's doing in you and doing in me. Friends, this has brought me so much joy and has grown my personal walk with Jesus so much over the last two or three years is realizing 
that everything God has called me to do, he has equipped me or is equipping me for. Amen? He is at work in you and in me for his glory, for our good. Look at verse 21. To equip you with everything good, not something good, everything good. He's giving you everything good that you need to bring glory and honor to him. Why? That you may do his will. Whatever God's will is for your life, he is equipping you to that end and to that purpose. That is good news. But not only that, he is working in us. Verse 21, that which is pleasing in his sight. What does that mean? It's ongoing, it's active, it's present. That God is more committed to making you like Jesus than you are to becoming like Jesus. That's good news. And so the fuel of the Christian life is abiding. It begins with position. It begins by remembering who we are in Christ. And this equipping all happens how? Look at what it says, verse 21. Through Jesus Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. As we are connected to him, then we bear fruit. Like all this is happening because of who Jesus is and his present work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is such good news for us. And you can just feel the author's excitement and awe at this and how he responds at the end of verse 21. To whom be glory forever, but not just forever, and ever, and not just ever, amen, truly, may it be so. And this is the hope of so much joy, brothers and sisters, for you and I in the Christian life. If you are in Christ, Christ is at work in you to make you like Jesus, to put sin to death, to give you new desires, to give you a longing to bring God glory in your life. It's not just you walk out here and sometimes we read through these lists of brotherly love and hospitality and all these things that we've read say, okay, I need to do better at that, I need to try harder at that. Yes, but not in your own strength. Jesus, would you help me have a heart of hospitality? Holy Spirit, would you produce in me a heart of contentment? That rest in you, not in my present circumstances. Would you give me a deeper love for my brothers and sisters so I can show brotherly love? Would you help me to love my spouse well no matter what they do so that I might honor marriage? It's God's working in and you, me, for his glory, for our good. This is beautiful for us. Abiding always begins, this is important, with the vine. Not with the branch. We are the branch. He is the vine. It begins with him. God's church can do his will because we are becoming like Jesus. Our ability to do God's will is dependent on his work in us. Think about an apple tree. You think about a branch. That branch cannot produce apples. It cannot produce fruit by itself. Only when it's connected to the whole. To the tree, to the trunk, to the nutrients. The same for us. The branch that bears fruit is not because of what the branch does. It's because of what it's connected to. We are connected to Christ. Maybe even a better illustration or metaphor would be the blood that is coursing through your veins right now. Or the oxygen that's running through your lungs right now. Are you making the blood run through your veins? Are you thinking about your next breath in this moment and hoping you take a deep enough one and that everything works? No, you don't even think about it. It just 
happens. And for a Jesus follower who's committed to the way of Jesus, becoming like Christ is not something that we do, it is something that is happening to us. And that is freeing and it's good news for us this morning. Which leads to a third big idea. And there's tension in these two, and I want you to feel these tensions. So first, in Jesus we are being equipped to do God's will. Second, this is third big idea technically, through Jesus we labor to faithfully do God's will. So we are being made like Christ because of God's work in us. That's one side of the coin. Second side of the coin is this. Through Jesus we labor to faithfully do God's will. So as we are becoming, we pursue. It's position and pursuit. And this is where we tend to struggle in the Christian life. We try pursuit without position. We forget who we are in Christ and we try to do all the things in our own strength and it leads to just frustration and weariness. Or we say we're just going to let Christ do the work in us and we don't pursue. And both of those are out of balance. It is always both and. It's always position and pursuit. Because of what Christ is doing in us, we labor to do his will. Look at verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, sisters, bear with my word. What does that mean? It means this letter of the Hebrews. Walk in it. Think about it. Obey it. Pursue it. Take the word that I've given to you and live it out. It is this action because of who you are in Christ. Now live for the glory of God. Live in obedience to God's word. And I think it's so important for us to notice the words he used. He doesn't just say, obey my word. He says, bear with my word. You could translate that, endure in my word. Keep going, keep running. You can also translate it, suffer with my word. What's he trying to communicate? If you and I obey the message of Hebrews, it's going to be hard. Following Jesus is hard. Why? Because it's in opposition to our desires of our flesh and because we live in a fallen, broken world. But we are called to faithfully pursue it, faithfully continue in it. Why? Because Jesus is better. He's better. And so he's summarizing all these things that he's told us and saying, run after these things, not out of your own effort, but out of God's grace. Not because of anything we've earned, but because of what Christ has done. Bear with my word of exhortation. Endure, suffer with, pursue in difficulty. What are some of the exhortations for Hebrews? Let me just kind of summarize them in three. There's so many we've walked through the course of this year, but if you try to put them in buckets, here's three. First, Jesus is better. He's better. He's the better priest. He's the better covenant. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better rest. He's the better revelation. You go through all these things. He is better. So what do we do? Draw near. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Another exhortation, be warned, warning, warning, why? Be warned that you don't drift away from the word that you've heard. Be warned that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Be warned that you don't grow sluggish in your faith. 
or that you don't fall away. These warnings have been given to us. There's propensity in us to fall away, to drift away from what God has called us to. A third exhortation, live by faith. Jesus is our confident trust. Run with endurance. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 6, go on to maturity. Don't stay where you are. Grow up in Christ. Friends, these things are God's will for your life. These things are God's will for our church. That we would believe them. That we would walk in them. And here's the beautiful thing. As God is changing us, we respond to him in obedience. And day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, we become more like Jesus. And you won't have to figure out God's will for your life. You will be living out God's will for your life. Amen? It is this ongoing, long obedience in the same direction, pursuit of faithfulness, resting in Jesus, Jesus changing us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and our lives bringing God glory. This is what he is praying would happen to them, and is what he's believing God will do in them, because that's what God does, which leads to a last big idea this morning, which is this. Through Jesus, God's church accomplishes his will together. Together. This message of Hebrews was never meant to be lived in isolation. It's not you follow Jesus on your own and I follow Jesus on our own and we just end up... No, we do this together. We are called to follow Jesus as a community of faith. Look at how he speaks to them in verses 22 through 25. I appeal to you, brothers, sisters. There's a bond that is in Christ. They're running in this together. He speaks about Timothy. That means they know Timothy. They love Timothy. Timothy knows them and loves them. There's connection that's there. I will see you soon. There's this aim to come and bless them, to come and know them. Greet all your leaders, all the saints. These people are known. They care for one another. They're in community together. Grace be with you all. This is affection. Do you love this person that's sitting in front of you, to your left, to your right this morning? Are you praying for their good? Say, I might not even know them. But do you know people here? Are you running alongside them here? Are you helping them grow up in Jesus, move on to maturity? Are they helping you? Really practically this morning, brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you from this word. Run the race with God's people. For some of us, that means adding something that doesn't exist. You need to join a go group. Next Sunday morning is a great way to do that. Two new ones starting on Sunday morning. You jump in there, it'll connect you to everything else. One at 9.30, one at 11. Jump into an equip group. Move toward Discover Tri-Cities. Take a next step to being with the people of God. For some of you, you're running alongside and it's time to expand. It's time to start serving. It's time to start leading. It's time to start discipling. It's time to go from being a participant in a group to being a discipler of other people in this church. To using your gifts for the glory of God here. For some of us that mo- this morning, it's to restore. 
You used to serve, you used to invest, you used to run alongside, you used to be plugged in, whatever that might be. And since COVID or because of other things in your life, you've kind of gotten disconnected and you just are kind of in and out. No, run with God's people. This is God's will for your life and for this church that we would become more like Jesus together. Listen to Ephesians 4 this morning. Speaking the truth in love, we, God's people, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's will for your life and my life and our church, that we would build one another up in love as we are becoming more like Christ together and that your life, my life, this church would bring God glory until he calls us home or until he comes again. As we move into a time of response this morning, we take the Lord's Supper together. We've said it many times already. It's all throughout this passage, but I just want to remind us of this. and don't want you to check out or leave. All of this is possible because of Jesus Christ. His blood that was shed for you, his body that was given for you. We get to live lives of worship. We get to walk in God's will because of Jesus' death in our place. And so in a moment, when you take the bread, when you take the cup, this isn't just an act or a ritual or an element of a service. We're remembering that it is only because of Jesus' death in your place and my place that we can have a relationship with God, that we can do God's will, that we can have communion with him. It is all because of Jesus. So I just want to invite you to bow your head where you are this morning and prepare your heart. The team will come up and kind of lead us in worship in just a few minutes. But just in the stillness of this moment, I, I want to give you a moment to examine your life in light of God's word. What is your next step? How do you need to respond this morning? For some this morning, it might be you need to repent that you've been living for your kingdom come. Your will be done, not for God's will. Maybe you've even fallen into that trap of using the spiritual kind of language to justify your own selfishness. I know I have. God, forgive me. Help me. For some, it's just obedience. It's saying, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to labor and toil. I'm going to bear, suffer, endure in God's word even though it's going to take me time, even though it's going to take me relationship, I'm going to pursue Jesus alongside of God's people, God's way, God's plan, and trust his work in my life and what my family needs. And for all of us this morning, one of the ways we respond is we get to rejoice. That everything that God has called you to he has equipped you for by putting 
his son at work in you. Praise God. That when we take the bread and the cup in a minute, it's a reminder of our union with Jesus Christ. And so before you come down, I just want to invite you. Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there anything you need to repent of before the Lord? Maybe it's something between you and another brother or sister that needs to be resolved, forgiven, reconciled. Do that before you take the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're here and you're not a believer, we are glad that you're here. It's a joy you come give your morning with us, but this is not for you. And I encourage you during this time just to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, read the first 10 verses. It talks about the gospel, what Christ has done for you. Consider these things. For parents in the room who have kids who aren't believers, this isn't for them, but this will set up a great gospel conversation for you later. So just in the stillness of this moment, I'll just let you pray. And when you're ready, you can come take a piece of the bread, cup, back to your seat. Then in a few moments, we'll participate in the Lord's Supper together. Father, we come, we give ourselves to you. Lord, I thank you that you have saved us, that you've called us according to your purpose to do your will and that you are equipping us for that end. Would you please do that? And we recognize that all of that is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word and your work. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.